get yourself some of this. The CBS Sports MMA podcast is back. Yes, state of combat in your face. Just days after UFC 232 in Las Vegas. Or is it Los Angeles? Let's ask John Jones. Is it a picogram or a pictogram? We'll get into that and much more. The Brian Campbell, absolutely without question, the voice that you hear, the name that's still last time I checked on the marquee. We got so much mixed martial arts to talk about, so much to get you fired up about. I'm washed up. I just stepped off a plane, basically. I'm about to bring in my good friend, the wise man, who is equally under the weather But like Floyd Mayweather in Japan, we fight through any circumstances. We get the job done. We're going to talk about all the fun from the land of the rising sun. That is rising, brother. Mojo rising. Wow, this show's already off the damn rails. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, whatever you're celebrating out there. We are celebrating with you the rebranded show, The State of Combat with Brian Campbell is right in your face. And let me remind you, by the way, if you like anything you hear today, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume fine audio and spread that word. Five star review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you want to hear. Just tell us. All right. Let me bring in my cohort here before i just start rambling again uh he's the cbs sports combat editor writer big time college football fan and the fourth most famous alumni of fiu by the way the wise man himself brandon wise wise how how is it how is it in south florida i'm hurting a little bit today brian but i can't be hurting any more than bj penn or carlos condon uh, how dare you how dare you evoke the name of the legend bj penn after his 17th consecutive loss uh <laughs> Uh, by the way, I love that the UFC 232 program has him listed as 37 years old. He's 40, bro. He's come after me. He's a man. He's It's time for him to go. Wow. So much MMA to talk about here, Wise. We're going to start with boxing, though, because as we record this on December 31st morning, we're just coming off Ryzen, Risen, Ryzen 14 down there in Japan. And it's the king of combat sports, Floyd Mayweather, who has taken over our timeline. I know, Wise, you're ready to talk John Jones and the legacy of Amanda Nunez. There's some Mandy talk on your timeline you want to get into. But did you check, did you check out this Floyd Mayweather tension, Naka, Naka something? Is that, is that right? I think Naka something's probably about right. Is that racist? I don't know. But, uh, your, your thought, did you watch this jam? Did you jam with the, with the, with the money? So I was on the timeline like you were this morning trying to see what was going on. I did not realize this was like a seven-hour show in Japan because the the stream started at 1 a.m. and ended like an hour ago when we started talking about it at 9. So I'm following what's going on. I saw that Darren Caldwell lost submission in the third round. Yeah, that and was then, interesting, right? The, the Bel- Beltor was trying to, uh, Beltor let him out. They let, it was almost like the old Chuck Liddell, UFC will send you to pride type of deal. Right. And he apparently was playing that stall, that stall against the wall, just kind of like holding and just trying basically not to get hurt, I would say. And then he ends up getting submitted in the third round. So he lost, I, does he lose, I think he loses his belt, right? He loses his Bellator title? I don't think he loses his, well, we're gonna have to call Scotty Coker on that one. I know that this was for some newly created title, right? Right, for the risen bantamweight title, but Kihoji Horiguchi ends up submitting him, and now I guess they have a champion. He was the former fl- uh, flyweight 
that challenged uh, Mighty Mouse at one point during his reign at UFC. And, and any, any listener of the show will know that King Mo for the last year has been saying, this is the guy who can beat Mighty. You know, before Henry Cejudo finally did, he's saying, why did the UFC let him go? I've seen a lot of that in my timeline this morning as well. ATT product. You, you, you jam yeah. with this guy down at the gym with uh, you, you and Danny Lambs or what? Danny Lambs. No, I have not seen him out at the gym, but hey, props to him. He took out one of the one of Bellator's probably most prized possessions at this point. I would say so. Darren Caldwell, fantastic fighter. I, I did not get a chance to see that fight. I did get a chance to see this main event, Floyd Mayweather and this 20-year-old Japanese kickboxing sensation who fights at featherweight. So why is, let's just get through it. Adam it. I thought it was Adam Wade. I don't know. It was awful weight. Whatever. Uh, this is a three round exhibition of boxing. So let, let's put all our cards on the table. I came in ready to clown this like everyone else, thinking this is an absolute joke. Floyd reveals he's getting nine million, which is what? Is that three million per minute? I, I'm not really, they said, I, I wasn't told there was going to be math here, but it ended up lasting about nine seconds. But the whole point of my, my speech here is this. I thought it was going to be really awful, meaning like, Two guys who know they're getting a lot of money and they're 30 pounds apart in terms of weight is just going to paw in a three-round exhibition that would look a lot like, let's not forget, that awful Mike Tyson pay-per-view where he did a sparring match main event against Corey T-Rex Sanders, who was wearing a t-shirt. And uh, they had plans to do a full tour, but that pay-per-view was so bad that they canceled it after that. I thought it was going to be like that. Why has it turned out to be... This No one told tension this was an exhibition. This kid, this kickboxing phenomenon came to win, and Floyd put him down three times in the first round, first round TKO. Nothing surprising about that, but here's the only thing I took that was surprising. It was actually kind of fun. Like, there's many jokes to, ma- to be made right now, many memes to be made. We can make them all, but if old washed Floyd is going to do this and he's going to fight people who are actually going to try, like, after the knockout... Tension was crying in his corner. Wise, he really thought he was going to win this fight. I'm down for a- people actually trying to win if this is the slop level that Floyd's going. I'm not ready for Floyd dot a 5,000 in a heart attack match, but I'm ready for, uh, you know, not paying and sh- illegally streaming more of this Floyd slop if this is all we're going to get. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, my only issue is that now it, now it has, uh, quote unquote legitimized the McGregor fight because I saw a lot of John Kavanaugh and everybody going, Oh, I guess McGregor did a little bit better than this guy did that everybody thought was going to be a joke. I'm just kind of like, just get out of here, oh, man. On, like this, this kid's like 15 years old. He weighs 118 pounds. Get over it. Right. But like, it's like the Connor fight was just so dumb and we all know it looking back on it. Like Connor went in there and he tried to do a little bit of like boxing technique, but he had no boxing technique. And this kid just – he just went out on his on his shield, like you said. Like, he went out swinging as hard as he could, even though, like we were talking about before, Mayweather just stood in front of him with his high guard just, like, blocking yeah. all the shots. And anything Floyd took, he walked right through, obviously. I mean, well, Yeah, because he's 20 pounds heavier. <laughs> and even though Floyd's 41 and if you try to take anything from the Conor fight, it's that he, that he was undertrained and didn't really care and looked a little, old, you know, washy and old – at that same time, he's still close enough to to being the best fighter in the sport that a 20-year-old 120-pound kickboxer is not going to hurt him. Right. I mean, Floyd's boxing technique has been refined over the last 30 years since he's been training since he was like 10. So he his style and – I mean, 
I know you enjoy this slop. I just can't stand it. So. Uh, it was bad slop, but I guess I'm comparing it to the level of slop I thought it would be. Like, I didn't talk about this fight in the lead-in. I didn't want to write a preview. So I didn't want to even touch this crap. And by the way, it wasn't even available on American Pay-Per-View. The fight app at the last minute announced that you cannot get that fight in the U.S., Canada, or Japan. You can only get it on the fight app elsewhere. It was really weird. Conspiracy theory alert. Why, why can you not get that fight? I don't know. It's an exhibition, right? I was able to I they offered me a chance to buy it for twenty dollars on the FITE.tv website. Yeah, that's the, the damn fight app. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> no, it wasn't available in the in the uh did they offer did they open it up last minute? Who cares? Anyway, who cares? The whole point is this, it was all weird. I thought it was gonna be awful. It turns out it was kinda entertaining because Floyd the Master Heel comes out with the bacterial mask, you know, that if you want to get racist and stereotypical that you see a lot of Asian people on planes wearing in real life, he comes out with that to clown them, which which was uh, distasteful, but that's Floyd. And then he uh, does – what kind of dancing was he doing after the win? Well, he also had the USA hat with the S being a money sign. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, on the same weekend that Chad Money Mendez, friend of the show, retires after a, a, a near fight of the year loss there to your boy – uh, Volkanovsky, Floyd Money Mayweather is still fighting and still earning. So it was about nine seconds long and he earned nine million. So congrats to Floyd. Uh, yeah. How, how did they get Kenny Bayless for that, by the way? Oh, that's Floyd's guy, man. That is Floyd. You know, conspiracy theory alert all those people out there on Twitter going, Floyd had to bring his bodyguard. And the whole idea is Kenny Bayless is a referee that doesn't allow infighting. So in Floyd, some of Floyd, you know, the first Maidana fight was Tony Weeks refereeing. Floyd was in a dirty brawl. The second Maidana fight, Kenny Bayless made sure that fight was fought at distance. I'm not saying that the conspiracy people on Twitter are saying that. But, hey, Kenny Bayless got a fine uh, Japanese vacation out of that, correct? Yeah, right. All right. Let's put Floyd in the bed. Is there anyone – is there any – let's close by saying this. If Floyd is going to go down this road and say, okay, I can keep this up till I'm whatever age, fighting smaller people who have no chance of being in there – is there another McGregor fight that could be made? Is there someone that would, someone, an MMA guy, someone, someone, is there another slop level fight that Floyd can do? Not one like this on New Year's Eve in Japan, but one almost on a Connor level that could do two million pay-per-view buys that we're not thinking of. What, is there someone out there he can lure that, that we would actually buy because we go, hey, you know what? I might give that guy a 10% chance to do something. Like a UFC guy? Yeah, because that's all that seems like that's all he wants to fight now. I mean, just because he's smaller than him, and it would probably be like an interesting size difference. My only thought would be like a Cody Garbrandt, maybe. Yeah, that's a good point. I was going to say TJ Dillashaw because he's training with Lomachenko, and yeah. and maybe I don't know. But why are we getting no? Hey, UFC guys, don't do this to yourself. Stop making Floyd the boss at the end of the MMA video game, where it's like if I get famous enough, I can sell my soul to Floyd for millions. Don't do it. End of discussion. It was UFC 232 this past weekend in Los Angeles. Wise, we're going to break down this card. What the listeners of the show didn't get to hear because of the timing on when we published this show was our thoughts on the fact that the damn show was moved on six days notice because John Jones had a, don't call it a failed drug test in Nevada, a drug test, uh, um, what was the term they used? I... BZ, I called you when I landed in, in DC and I'm getting all these reports and I thought you knew all these details because I was on vacation last week before Friday. Um, yeah, so was it, it was, a, 
I forgot the wording that you saw to use to, to try to say it wasn't a failed drug test. Look, if there's a banned substance on a list and you pop for it, it's a failed drug test, people. We cannot call it an uh, irregularity or whatever it was called. Anyway, we know the story already. Nevada was like, uh-uh. We're not licensing this guy. Four of our five commissioners are on vacation. We can't get a hearing together. And California was like, hey, bros, we know, we know John's history. So they moved the card. A lot of talk about this. Some weird interviews with Jeff Nowitzki, the UFC's head of regulatory athlete affairs, whatever you want to call that, on the Joe Rogan podcast. It seems in the end, the, the, the part that was so tough to take was that Dana comes out after the announcement is like, well, John hasn't failed the drug test. This is the first one. He's been testing clean all year. And then Jeff Nowitzki's like, no, actually, no one said that. Um, he's actually failed a bunch in the summer and USADA has been working hard to try to figure out why. What the, how do, the, are we allowed to just like, do they just expect us to just swallow this and be like, all right, all right, if you say it's fine. Like, how the heck is USADA after sending Frank Mir and Tom Lawler to hell and giving them suspensions and not giving them any wiggle room can just go, we have proof that this was a former usage by John Jones and not a new, like, and we can't double jeopardy him. I mean, come on, people, really? Yeah, I mean, so this is where I fell on this, and I think you and I talked somewhat about it. I am so done with USADA and their garbage because they can't tell me what's right and what's wrong like they're in this weird middle ground where they have ufc trying to play a little bit into their hands and seeing like hey you know what that guy might have had a little something but we really need him to fight like so the other side of it is where you've got guys who (laughs) who pop and they are going through this process for 13 months and then they're like oh sorry, you didn't actually test positive. It was a false positive. You can go back to fighting now. So I told you before, like on the podcast before the P, uh, 232, I want USADA out of this game. Like if we want to bring in VADA or WADA or another ADA, that's fine. Like just get USADA the hey, hell Nada, out yeah. of here because they clearly don't know what they're doing. Uh, they will not be getting out of here wise, as Novitsky <laughs> told Joe Rogan, they have re-signed with the UFC, and you'll expect 30 to 40% more drug tests. So the biggest problem here is this. They don't know the answers. For them to declare on what, like a couple days notice, oh, this was definitely not a reissue for John. This was lingering banned steroids from his 2017 suspension. Like, that's just, it's to, to fans and media, that was a joke. I don't know. Here's the, here's the thing in the end. I don't actually know if John Jones is clean or not, or this was a tainted uh, supplement that's lingering in a system, or it was a cocaine relapse, or it was whatever. But my point is this. Neither does UFC or USADA. They haven't proven to us that they definitely know. So with Dana White saying moving it to L.A. on six days' notice was the right thing to do, unquote, you know what the right thing to do was? As much as we all didn't want it to happen— pull the fight that would have been the right thing to do i think cyborg and nunez ended up showing you with how insanely uh sensational that fight was for as long as it lasted that that could have and should have been the main event yes we would have been sad that john jones wasn't there but there were way too many red flags to let that fight go on wise and a fighter who does not deserve remotely the benefit of any doubt only seems to gain more of it the more sketchy things have happened. Like, this is insane. I know John Jones walked out of the interview with TSN, TSN's Aaron Bron, Bronstetter. Is that how we're pronouncing that? A good, good guy, by the way. Big fan of that guy. He walked out when, uh, 
when Aaron brought up, you know, the special treatment he's getting, but wise. Am I, my, my preaching to the choir? I mean, he's getting gigantic special treatment from everybody. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I just, it's almost like you know he doesn't deserve it, but at the same time, I really enjoy watching John Jones fight. I know. So. It's a, it is a dilemma there. It is a dilemma. That's kind of where I'm at. It's just like, I know he's going to pop again. Like, we know we're going to get to 2019. We're going to get to another, like, DC rematch. And then we're going to go, oh, darn, he tested and positive. And he's going to say tainted like, supplement. And so it's it's such a – It's just like that's probably why all this gray area is happening with USADA. They want him to fight. They need him on that wall. They want him in that octagon. But they also just know he's got this problem. And I don't know if it's the drug pro, if it's the, the, the performance enhancing problem or if it's just a actual drug problem because he seems to have issues. Like it's pretty clear he's, he even said it in the ring after the fight. He went through a lot this year. He said his, when his mom died, he went into a really bad depression and you know what, ha- like those kind of things happen again. Like that's what causes relapses in people that have addiction issues. So. Who's to know, who's to say that that didn't cause something to happen, and that's not what he tested positive for? You know, I'm I'm with you on that. And in if you believe if Jones is right, and by the way, I will say this, and he's fooled people in the past, but he gave some really kind of heartfelt, emotional speeches after his victory over Alexander Gustafson, which we're going to get into in a second. That he's never touched a thing, and he's clean, and it almost makes you want to really believe if he if this is true, okay. If he's just the victim of really bad luck consistently, which is kind of a far stretch, by the way, but um, it will, I think, change historically what we understand about drug testing and what even USADA understands. And then that all that does is make you feel bad for all those people who took, I guess, unnecessary suspensions and didn't have the money to go to arbitration like John Jones did to get a, what, a two- or four-year suspension whittled down to 15 months retroactive. It's such a bad gray area. I just think in the end it was a bad look to move the fight for one person and anger all of the undercard people who now had to pay a California state income tax, which is much larger than Nevada, which has none, plus pay extra for medicals, have to travel last minute, all that stuff. I don't even think this should have been a title fight. Like, if you're DC, Daniel Cormier, uh, how could you not be angry at the system? At USADA? At UFC for taking a championship off of you and giving it back? To, to 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 John Jones and giving him a chance to win it, giving it back to two guys you one you already beat in Gustafson and one who's had such a tainted history with you. When you know Dana White says it himself, DC would be his champion for the rest of his life if he could because he's such a model sort of employee and, and vision of what a champion should be. How angry are you if you're DC that they just did this and it's like the system doesn't work? There's only one thing that actually still works. I could be fat, I could not have a six pack, but my dick works. My dick works. I, well, and we gotta be honest, he's right. He is, he's, he's right on that regard. But I mean, how mad are you if you're DC? Look, we're gonna get into the car, we're gonna get into the fight, but it's, you're right. We had to eat, eat a lot of crap this week just to bite down on the fact that Jones Gustafson 2 is a great fight and MMA is better with John Jones than it is without. But I'm not gonna sit here and be like, yeah. It all di- it all went down well. I digested it well. It, 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 everything's fine. All good here. I mean, it's yeah. A- I mean, so DC, what was it, Thursday or Friday? Said, yeah. You know what? If you guys are going to actually fight for the belt, I'm giving you the belt. I don't want it anymore. They can have it. That's what he said in a statement to Ariel Hawani. And then Dana White comes out. And he says, 
oh, DC is kind of being childish about this. How is he being childish? You're giving him, you're giving these guys his belt. And he, just because he hasn't fought in what, eight months at 205? Come on, man. You gave the dude a chance to fight at heavyweight and win the title, and then you wanted him to fight again on a month, or in what, like three months notice yes. to, to, or three weeks notice, sorry, to fight against Derek Lewis in New York because you needed the main event? Yes, yes, yes. Like, come on, man. That, that to me is the biggest joke of all is that Dana says, oh, DC's being childish. Get the hell out of here, dude. Like, you give he, Jones a title shot coming off of a failed test, which, which, da- which Dana is not, so Dana's protecting Jones from this test relapse right now, saying John Jones did nothing wrong. But what Dana is not protecting John Jones from was the failed test following UFC 214 when he knocked out DC in the rematch. Because I asked Dana, I interviewed him on Friday after the weigh-in, and I said, Jones said at the press conference, which, by the way, was one of the most bizarre circus press conferences we've ever seen, Jones said that one day he'll be vindicated, that asterisk will be removed from his career. You know what Dana told me? He's like, hold on a second. John's done a lot of crap in his life that, that you can't just fix. This time he's innocent, but he actually did pop for a test in 2017. So there's just so many contradictions. It's just uh, – but you know what, Wise? One thing I did ask Dana was, uh, is there any is there such thing as bad press? Because this card just sold out on six days' notice in L.A., and I'm sure trending-wise, UFC 232 was uh, a must-see event because of the negativity and the constant. You make the headlines constantly, people will care. And Dana said, look, the UFC and the sport of MMA right now has more gossip and more craziness than a hair salon. This is what fans eat up. This is what they love. So they're not even hiding that stink smell. They're saying not only does this is what fans love, but we'll sell it by the bottle. Well, I mean, I'm honestly surprised they didn't turn this into their promo, like, <laughs> on the week's notice. They didn't just work in, oh, hey, by the way, guys, we're going to L.A. because of John Jones and his weirdness, you know? So my thing is, the going back to the D.C. stuff, the only reason they do this is because they know to sell a third fight for Jones D.C., they need two belts in the ring. And to make that super fight, they want it to be champion versus champion because that's what's hot right now. That's what they're, that's the only thing they seem to be interested in. So why not take the belt off of DC, give it to that winner. And then in 2019, because he said, uh, Dane actually said at the press conference that he doesn't know when Brock Lesnar's coming back. They want to make that champion versus champion fight. To me, that's my conspiracy theory as to why this all happened the way they did because they know if John Jones isn't a champion, he probably doesn't sell as well for whatever reason. So they want to put a belt on him. That, that's fair. And it also takes some of the leverage away from DC, who has more leverage right now than he ever has, being that he had two belts up until four days ago. And <laughs> in my mind, I think DC should just stand firm and say, I'm only doing this at heavyweight. Why would DC want to cut back down to 205 to fight Jones? He has advantages at heavyweight. I think you have a much more competitive fight. It just seems to make more sense. All right, let's get into the actual card that we saw at the forum. I was there, wise. Wild week, wild event. Really fun event when all was said and done, and we start with that rematch. Jones, Gustafson, two, five years later for the vacant 205 title. You know what it wasn't? It wasn't round six of that greatest title fight in UFC history. It was a much more tactical event. From Cage side, uh, I saw two kind of, you know, bo- I don't want to use boring, but kind of very tactical, slow-moving distance type of rounds in the beginning what'd you take from those two rounds so 
when we first were when we watched it live, we were kind of just like, okay, this is a little different. We didn't expect Jones to come out not like full bore. We had kind of expected him to just go guns blazing, find his weak, find the weakness in Gustafson game, and just attack it. But instead, he kind of waited. He let Gustafson push the action. He wanted to see where his his uh, weakness was as Gustafson started pushing forward a little bit. And those shots that Jones landed on his counters were really solid. Uh, when you go back and look at that fight, it might have looked like he was being a little sluggish or slow, but he was being so tactical. It was what we were talking about in the preview where he has that computer brain where he knows exactly what his counter is on every strike that, that his opponent's landing. So when he started going after that shin and heel of Gustafson in the second and first, he almost shut down his leg. Like, oh, Gustafson was limping put, badly at the press conference afterwards. He couldn't put any weight on it. Like he, he clearly had an advantage when he hit that, hit that kick on the front end of his shin so that Gustafson couldn't do anything anymore. And once that happened, he was able to go into that third round, got him to the ground and then ground and pound city. Look, the the thing I'm going to take away from this fight, and we had there was physical questions coming in for both. Gustafson coming in off a year and a half break, which people kind of forgot. He, injuries had kept him out. Jones had to answer a lot of things. You know, can he fight clean? What about the 17 month layoff? What about that? Well, he looked sluggish against OSP, but then he looked great against DC when he was on drugs. Apparently, you know, in the end, you know what he came out and showed us that he's a such a brilliant fighter. That that IQ, I've compared Jones to. Floyd Mayweather a couple times lately. And I'm doing it from the sense that mentally, he's so damn tough. There's an unflappability. It seemed like the more things got crazy for Mayweather outside the ring, the better he could focus inside the ring. I think you're seeing that from John Jones. And I think the, the Floyd comparison goes a little bit deeper when you look at how much now John's using his IQ, how much he's using his physical advantages to his, to him, to sort of become more efficient as he's growing in age. This was a brilliant performance. Sometimes when you're ringside or cage side for combat sports, most of the time, you get a different view than people get on TV. You get sometimes a better view. You can tell how hard punches are landing. You can tell the the navigation of di- distance better and ring generalship. Sometimes, though, you're blocked by certain things. I was cage side for this. I happen to be sitting behind one of those corner cameramen on the corner. So because this fight was contested in the middle, I actually was missed a lot of the brilliance that John was doing the first two rounds. I thought he was gassed a little bit in round two. My analysis was way off. Going back and watching some of that, he commanded and controlled distance so beautifully, which he said afterwards, Brandon, was the difference in why the first fight was so competitive. Yes, you can say Jones was doing coke and he wasn't taking it as seriously, any bad training camp, all that stuff. But that first fight was so close, John says, because Gustafson was the one standing backwards waiting for Jones to come forward and then had sort of the physical strengths to be able to keep that a close fight. Jones putting his foot on the brake more, waiting for Gus to come with him and then hitting him with those key counters was brilliant. And then, like you said, breaking him down, the body shots, the leg kicks began to set him up and leave him open to a takedown. And that's what John said. This was going to be a wrestling-heavy fight in the end. And I give credit to Gustafson for blocking and stuffing those takedowns in the first two rounds. But once he got weakened enough, man, John's a smart dude. Like, he really is. Like, I'm sorry. He really is the greatest of all time. It's not just the amazing physical advantages he holds with that long reach. It's not just the spectacular athleticism. It's not just the toughness that he showed in the first Gustafson fight. This guy's the genius out there. And by far the smart, 
I mean, would you say he's the smartest fighter that we've ever seen too? I put him in the category with uh, the, the guys I always say was the smartest were like Demetrius Johnson, Dominic Cruz, guys who I f- really feel like are just students GSP? of this game, played the angles perfectly. But Jones showed me a lot this time. GSP? GSP 100%. So, yeah, I mean, I was more focused on what you're saying about the Floyd stuff because to me, if he does turn all of this into that heel turn, I think you got it. I mean, that's what UFC needs. That, to me, that's what makes more sense about them playing all of this up and letting it all just be, hey, this is what we're dealing with, guys. And if Jones is just like, yeah, I didn't, I failed. I might have failed the test, guys. But you know what? <laughs> I'm still the greatest and baddest of all time. Come get some. If he turns it into that, then my God, you have a mega star on your hand. Well, he's got to pick a persona to, to that to that degree because he was a he heel play, in the press he conference. Can't play the line. He can't play the line. You're right. He was a monster like, heel. Guys, feel bad for me and all that stuff. You know. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. no I, I agree with you. He was a monster heel at Thursday's press conference. Not just shutting down that female reporter from Sweden in such a rude way, but anytime the fans, who were hilarious by the way, would jump in and bring up cocaine references or whatever, Jones would sort of play into it and laugh. And he was a heel. Right afterwards, calling out DC after the victory, but then he turns back into Johnny Babyface, you know, on the press conference and being humble and talking about his, how hard this journey was and God gave him everything. And, and it's like, I think marketing wise, you're right. If he just straight up plays the dark heel of sort of like, I might be dirty, but, but you can't beat me anyway. It, it's, it is going to go a longer way to him being a, a superstar, but he already is a superstar. And I think fans are also confused because as much as they rip him leading into a fight, Man, do they want to celebrate him after he wins because he's that dude. He's the Jordan of, of this time, the LeBron. He really is. He's really that guy. He showed you. And something you brought up to me is interesting. The question of at 31, is he slowing down physically? Because now this is two fights in a row. You made a good point about that second DC fight. It was more competitive before the finish. John was more efficient. His output was lower. He was controlling more with his mind and, and distance and space. Let's not forget that Floyd Mayweather did that, Right. Early in Floyd's career, he was a volume puncher. He would go after you. Go watch the Diego Corrales fight. He would go after you and take you out. Once he had the hand injuries, he got a little older, he moved up in weight. He realized it's got to be more about defense, smart counterpunching, and controlling everything, right? Distance, speed, pace, all that stuff. John might end up being more dangerous, especially if he moves to heavyweight where the speed advantage will be more clear. Late in his career, if he becomes this sort of let me slow down the pace and set you up for the big finish because his length is insane. And by sort of being more efficient and not wearing himself out, he's going to give his opponent less chances to finish him. It's almost a Tyron Woodley like move, right? It's, it's, it's taking the game and really narrowing it down to its most basic element of I'm right. going to take away your offense and set you up for one big one of mine. I'm not going to just keep coming at you and give you chances to counter. This could be interesting second half of the career if this is the direction Jones is going because I think he's showing us he's got the IQ, still got the body and athleticism for it. He's the GOAT, dude. He's the GOAT. Until we see otherwise. Until Matt Hamill comes back through that door and gets a real win against him, he's the GOAT. Yeah, I mean, and it's just going to take something. I don't know. It, I mean, we'll talk about it in a second with the Cyborg fight, but until, like you said, until you see it, it's hard to project, predict, uh, it's hard to predict when the end is, you know, because like you said, he has so many damn tools. He's not a one punch knockout guy. He's not a one hit wonder. He has a complete game. He can wrestle you to the ground and win a fight there. 
He can submit you. He can, I mean, he can do whatever he wants. And it's all, it's all going to come down to if he does end up going to heavyweight, like we really want him to, if he can narrow the focus and take away your strengths and play them up to his strengths, you don't have a chance because his game is just so much better. You know what it does? It makes you reckless. And if you're reckless against somebody like him with the speed and length, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. So this is something I was talking about with our guys here at the office before we started recording. What is the next fun fight that you want to see John Jones in? Let's get rid of the Define fun. So in terms of the action is going to be nonstop and it's going to be – it's going to be borderline reckless, kind of like Cyborg Nunez was. Okay. Because it's, so we're not talking about a Lesnar fight in which he would just butcher Lesnar coming forward. We're not talking about a circus fight, and we're not Perfect. talking about DC because look, the, the fight the fight to make is the DC trilogy at heavyweight. It's a one million percent. All right. Shout out to your boy Anthony Smith for trying to enter the conversation. But the damn fight to make is DC. So you're saying outside of that, what's yes. a fun ass fight? I don't know or think there is one at 205 because let's not forget Jones keeps falling out of the picture. But then he keeps coming back in and regaining the title for the fourth time. He's the light heavyweight of all time of this era. He's cleaned that division out. It must come at heavyweight-wise where, yes, there are some very interesting challenges because of the strength of these fighters, the size of them, and in some cases their wrestling ability would make it interesting. Um, Stipe Miocic? That'd be, that'd, be, that'd be pretty damn wild. That'd be wild because the whole time you know Stipe could land the bomb that could end the fight. All right, what are you thinking? So I'll just give you their what they wanted to see first to Mikey Mormile and his buddies. He said so. His idea is a producer, CBS Sports producer, our buddy Mikey Mormile, who won his who won our picks contest for the year by one pick over me. I'm not bitter at all about it. Um, Thank you, Latifi. Thank you. (laughs) He um, he wants to see the style bender against John Jones. Oh, stop that! Just stop that! At at two oh five. At two oh five. And my point was, I don't, I just don't think that's a good style matchup for Israel yet, just no. because Israel's still so raw, and we still haven't seen him conquer 185. So, so you're gonna have to wait at least four fights before you get to that point, and you don't even know where John is in, in 2020. <laughs> so I, I, I was interested until they brought Israel into the picture because I just don't think that's a good fight for him. No. No, it's it's not. I mean, as bad of a fight as it is for Silva, I think, Anderson against Stylebender because you're like, well, they're kind of the same fighter. They're just in much different parts of their career. I think the same thing about Israel and John because I'm like, well, they're almost the same fighter, but John's just bigger and longer. So it's 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 just a – that's a tough match. I mean, that's an interesting idea. I just don't think John is going to be long for 205, and the reason is there's nobody to fight. So nobody, There's nobody to fight. No, you're right. And that's – that's kind of why I'm not like going goo goo gaga over this fight because it was a rematch and it was pretty decisive the first time and John finished it him this time. It was not decisive the first time. I thought Gustafson won. In my heart, I thought Gustafson won. Yeah, you're, you're, you're still drinking too much coffee today. I thought Hendricks beat GSP, by the way, as well. Thank you, you also, whatever. So here's my thought. You give John Another six months to get ready or get through USADA, whatever the hell is going to happen. Cain Velasquez is fighting Francis Ngannou in yes. two months. Yes. Francis Ngannou loses that fight to Kane, and Kane calls out John Jones. You have a super fight That's amazing. of super fights for July's pay-per-view 
where you have the two guys who pretty consensusly, you could say, were considered the best in their divisions all time at one point. I mean, Kane was considered the best of all time until a few months ago, right? At heavyweight? Yes. Kane's the uh, – let's put let's put our chips on the table. Kane's, the, in my money, the best heavyweight the outside of prime fate or outside of the UFC, right? The best heavyweight UFC has ever seen is Kane. Yes. At his in his in yeah the key is in his prime because right. we don't we still don't know what he's gonna look like this in two months he hasn't fought in seventeen years yes I'm, I'm <laughs> so you get that fight I mean to me you're talking about number two pay per view of all time maybe whoa 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 there's an issue though there's an issue here. in terms of selling in terms of selling well we have issues though the issue is that the heavyweight championship is around DC's waist and he won't fight his best friend Kane and why would you make that fight if you're UFC before doing Jones DC3. Why? Why, Wise? Why? Because you're playing up the camp stuff. Because DC has always had Kane in his corner for these kind of big fights. And DC, and it, it's like your WWE stuff, where you have the stablemate go get him first, and if he can't beat him, then you get to Jones and DC3. The problem, okay, here's, here's my minor problem with that. Jones has, although he's always talked about heavyweight, he's been, when it's time to finally go, you see him a little tepid, right? They'll ask him and they'll go, you know, yeah, eventually I'll go there. But, but, you know, almost like a not yet. I don't think you do a heavyweight debut against Cain Velasquez because that's probably his toughest matchup available on paper. Really. It's probably his toughest matchup. I think you, if you're UFC, you can get so much financial milking from just the idea of John Jones is going to headline a pay-per-view in his heavyweight debut against a dangerous guy. I said in, I think it was 2014, I said, guess what, guys? John Jones is going to move to heavyweight one day, and his debut match will be a pay-per-view with Brock Lesnar that will break all pay-per-view records. Now, that was pre-Conor uh, McGregor coming to rise and changing the game and all that. It's not going to break all pay-per-view records. I still think John Jones' heavyweight debut, if it's not DC, will be Lesnar because it makes too much sense. You'll make him look like a killer at heavyweight, and you'll sell 1.7 million pay-per-view buys. So... I get where you're going with that. I think it'll be a little bit of a slower roll. But how much slower can you do it? I mean, Jones is what, 31, 32 now? 31. Or he, as he said in the, in the, uh, post fight press conference, he said he was 23. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he botched a few key details. A few teams like, yeah, I'm really excited to be here at UFC 242. <laughs> um, but Kane, I mean, dude, Kane is 35. I mean, that's just a lot. Okay, my, I guess my my larger point is that's a that's a tough fight to schedule to not have a title involved in. You're right, and both have injury histories. John has his Usada is, issues in his past. I mean, you can book it now. It's just a matter of if if both guys actually make it to the octagon that night. What if DC retires in March? So that's the other thing. It's is DC actually going to retire one? Because if that happens, you have DC Jones three in March or April, right? DC hangs it up after that fight, win or lose, and then John fights Kane in in July. So I was going to think of it like Be- this: What if DC walks away because he's got he's suppo- supposedly DC's got some giant TV opportunity that he won't tell everybody anybody what it is, but it's going to be 2019 and it's not going to be MMA; it's going to be something different. What if he walks away and says, look, I promise you guys I retire at 40, I will. But he's walking away so that in the back of his mind he makes the third Jones fight, which is the final payday for him, really, if he can't get Brock in the spring. 
he wants to make it bigger and he wants to make big time money, not B side money. He wants to make big time money. So he walks away. They put that heavyweight title vacant. They do Jones Velasquez like you're saying. Or maybe you do Velasquez Stipe for the vacant title. And let's say Velasquez wins. By the way, that fight would be incredible. Then you do build towards Kane Jones. And then Jones beats him if he, if he could. And then you build towards the third. I mean, yeah, it'd be a monster at that point. You also could just have, my point is I think DC might go away for a little bit and then come back for the Jones third fight. I just hope he doesn't do it at 205. There's no reason to do that. Yeah. Either way, I, things are kind of fun. Things are kind of fun right now in this, like, who's a heavyweight, who's not type of thing. That's the biggest thing is that we needed Jones to win this fight mostly so that we could say, all right, it's time for him to get out of this division, right? He's conquered everything he needed to do in 205. There's nothing left. There's, none of these young dudes coming up really would stand a chance against him. Like, get the hell out of here, Anthony Smith. I know I, I bombarded you and our, our coworker yeah. on this week. I was so sick of hearing Anthony Smith talk that I just I, – oh, God. He bothers me. He's just not good on TV. And his post-fight interview when he talked to John Jones about trying to get a fight in July, oh, my God. He could not have done a worse call-out job. Well, he's got 13 pro losses. so um, Prospect uh, of the year. Final Fox Studio portion of of their career, they have Anthony Smith there. All right, um, but when you look at that those light heavyweight rankings, I mean, it, it's time for John to go. I mean, he's he's fought, I mean, okay, you know what? Maybe maybe they do that. Maybe you do one more title defense to get a cheap pay per view out of John, and you do Anthony Smith, and he sends him to hell, and then it's heavyweight next. It's it, and it's it's you know, the point is there's heavyweight is tough, man. It it you know we've documented it. It's that division that. There's no staying power. It's hard to get a, a long, consistent stretch of stars. You know, we thought we had something going with Kane and JDS and, and Brock a few years ago, and it kind of fell apart quick due to injuries to everybody and, and key losses. We've got something again when you consider Stipe's not going anywhere. DC's the champion. Jones probably moving up. There's there's some fun business coming. Kane is back. There's some fun business coming at heavyweight. John Jones is going to be a big part of that probably sooner than he than he's admitting at the moment. But let's roll on here. The, the real main event at UFC 232 in Los Angeles was Cyborg Nunez. And I just want to say, when it was first booked, I did a, all right, I guess you have to do it. There's no one else for either to fight. But, you know, Cyborg's going to destroy her in the end. As the fight got closer, I woke to a certain degree to the idea of, you know what, at 145, Nunez with that reach, she might be able to take her late rounds. This could be a fun fight, but Cyborg's still going to win. It really wasn't until being in that arena and realizing how great this fight is on paper. And the crowd was so damn into it. Cyborg, she's got a big fan base in Southern California. I mean, a mat, like at that press conference on Thursday, they were loud and proud. That fight felt like it was a Super Bowl level fight by the time those two got in the cage. And certainly on paper, it is everything we said it was the greatest fight in women's MMA history on paper coming in, meaning importance, champion versus champion, all that stuff. You were woke to the idea that maybe Mandy, Amanda Nunez, the Bantamweight champion, maybe Mandy is the one. She was the one. What did you see? What did you think? So Amanda's strengths are just that power boxing and precision accuracy. It just brings out such a different game in her opponents. So I thought going in, that Cyborg was going to push the pace a little bit, but she went way too hard, way too fast <laughs> because 
if she didn't if she would have waited and let Amanda be the aggressor to start, this might be a different fight. But when she goes out kind of recklessly like that, I thought, yeah, Nunez is going to take this because Nunez is able to eat those counter shots and land harder. That was the biggest thing for me was that Amanda was landing so damn hard that Cyborg just didn't have a chance, you know? And when she got knocked down the first time, I was like, oh, man, Cyborg's kind of out of it. But she got right back up. She's tough, yeah. (laughs) She got right back up, and you're like, oh, damn, is Cyborg going to drop her? (laughs) Like, But then – Yeah, keep going. But then Cyborg gets dropped again, and she face-planted. My thought – so when I was watching it live, I jumped out of my seat like – Oh my God, what did I just see? That was a moment, dude. That was a moment in time, in history. That was a moment. I was going to ask you because my only like com- uh, comparison for being at a live event for that was the the Rose against Joanna one where it was kind of like, what the hell did we just watch? Well, that night, I think of, of, every, of any fights I've been live to, the UFC, what was that, 217? Yeah. The second time at the Garden in New York with the three title fights, GSP Bisping and also the Cody, uh, TJ won three finishes in a row. Nothing will equal that. This moment was pretty close. This was one of those jaw drops. Look around the room shaking. Where am I? What is happening? And it's a lot of it links into the history, but still just the shock of it. Dude. Right. The upset. I mean, it's a, it's a one minute first round upset. Like, you can't – outside of what Holly Holm did to Ronda Rousey in Australia, I don't know if there's another, like, comparison for that because it, it would have been shocking if she won a decision or or just, like, a late-round finish. But first round in under a minute? And it wasn't a lucky punch, though. That's the thing. It wasn't like, oh, she caught her with a looping right hand that turned her chin. Oh, let's do a rematch. She got caught. She dismantled her in 51 seconds, like, destroyed her. And here's what's crazy, like – People have been aggressive against Cyborg in the past. They've That was their strategy, uh, to just come out and try. And guess what happens? Like, you can get her a little reckless, but you have to have the insane chin and mental toughness to stand in there. And we've seen, when you get her into a war, Cyborg lands and you go down. That's why people don't fight that strategy coming in. And it's not just Nunez's power, dude. Her accuracy is insane. She has really evolved into such an incredible boxer. You think of who she was just three years ago. She was more of this raw brawler, and certainly she didn't have championship-level stamina, and that was a stigma that had followed her from when she faded late to lose against Katzengano in 2014, even through that first Shevchenko bout, which she won, but she faded late again. It really wasn't until the Shevchenko rematch that she showed me she has championship-level intangibles. But even, I don't, here's the difference. I don't think she... I don't think Cyborg was too reckless. I think Nunez and her team were too brilliant knowing what's Cyborg's biggest weakness. Because you got to give Cyborg credit. Under Jason Perillo, she's evolved her own right. Since joining the UFC, I think she's really become more technical and patient. And she's become much more of a calculated striker than the Strike Force Elite XC brawler from the Gina Carano days, right? Where you could hit her. But you just can't outlast her because she's so friggin' violent. Nunez in the post-fight press conference talking about their plan was to kick her outside leg kicks hard to bring the guard down. And then her coach told her, what's your coach's name? You love that guy. Conan. Conan, yeah. This, this bar, the barbarian told her, <laughs> basically, the first big shot you land on Cyborg, it's going to make her reckless. It's going to turn it into a war. But you don't tug on Superman's cape for a reason. Because 
you can't take what Cyborg comes with in return and give Cyborg credit. Not only did she keep getting up, she landed bombs on Nunez, and it was Nunez who just kept coming and was proved to be the more technical fighter, the more, you know, the, the, the quicker fighter. It was insane what she did. It's not that coming in, I thought Nunez lacked experience. It's not coming in, I thought she lacked heart. I certainly didn't think she lacked power or precision. I didn't know she had that mental toughness. And it makes sense now when you consider it. Nobody was looking to fight Cyborg but Nunez. She's the one test, texting Dana White after the Holly Holm fight, she said, saying, make this fight. She came in there so mentally tough. And I think she just willed herself to a level-wise where it was like, I'm going to get Cyborg into a brawl. Cyborg's probably going to land a big shot, but I'm going to stick to who I am, which is this technical striker, and I'm going to take her out. I still cannot believe that she dismantled her. She short-circuited her like that. And it was just by being so damn confident. Like, you gotta be crazy confident to stand in there against Cyborg. But really, that's how you take down the bully, right? Exactly. And I think, honestly, for all the talk that Cyborg did about, oh, she said she needs nine months to get ready for this fight. If you're a real fighter, you fight me right away. I think that, like, mental thing, it bothered Cyborg. Like, that was like a weird, why doesn't she just want to fight me? Why can't she just fight me now? Because Amanda needed – I mean, to her credit, she is damn calculated. She knew what kind of fight she needed to take into this bout. Her team put together a perfect game plan like you were talking about, and she needed the time. Like, come on. Physically, she I think needed she needed the, the time. Right. She probably – I mean, we don't know what goes on in these training camps all the time, but she might have been dealing with an injury after that Raquel fight. You don't know. Like she needed the time to put on the extra muscle and be ready for this fight. And it showed, man, because Cyborg walks around at like 170 and she struggles. Like it's well documented her struggle to cut to 145. Well documented. Don't ever watch that video of her cutting. You know the one I'm talking about that ESPN did? Don't ever watch that. It is gross. Like I think that Cyborg was depleted in this fight too, to be honest. I think Cyborg probably – was not all there physically. So you can give whatever that is to to um, say, oh, this deserves a rematch if you want to. But man, I don't know that I need to see a rematch of this because this was decisive. It was, was but no questions. I think you 100% need a rematch for two reasons. One, it's a gr- it's it's going to be a great payday. <laughs> it's going to be a great like I think it headlines a pay per view and it should. It's going to be a great fight. Two. Look, no one's Cyborg is was the greatest of all time coming in for a reason. I think she was better and more dominant than Rousey. She lost her pro debut in 2005, and then outside of that one no contest where because she took steroids at time with Strike Force, she's destroyed everyone. I think she's only gone. She only had like three decisions during that run. Mm-hmm. Every if, organization she went to, she became the champion. It's sort of like. Y- you know, that, that's why I thought Demetrius Johnson deserved to come back against Henry Cejudo, although that didn't happen. You deserve that, that, that chance to do it over one more time. It's just, I can't believe it happened. You could be right that, that, I mean, Cyborg is, is in reality probably should be a 155er, although there's no division there. You, you, you could be right that she was depleted, but I just think a better fighter had a better game plan and outlasted her. And now you're like, where does Nunez go? Because Nunez has been cut to 135 forever on a really, really hard cut. It, in some ways, this might end the need for a featherweight division because you opened it up just for Cyborg. Guess what? There's nobody in that division. Go to the UFC rankings page. I say that all the time. They still don't have a top 10 because there's nobody in that division. They're all blown up bantamweights. 
So maybe you end that division or maybe that division is Nunez because without that weight cut, she's strong. She's got, she's got everything. Her body looked different in a good way, meaning she, she came in there like, She's a beast, man, and I know all the talk, and there's a, some stupid Darren Ravel tweets, and Dana charred, charred back, and then Darren Ravel wrote this feature for the – who's he write for? For the uh, Athletic or the Action Network? Which athletic? Athletic, yeah. And I, I don't even want to get into some of those comments of just not understanding the full spectrum of the game. Being truth, being true a little bit, but, but the big thing here is, yes, it's been slow for Nunez to become a thing. Right, she was great as a B side opposite Rousey and Tate, and those pay per views did over a million. She didn't quite use the rub from Rousey to become this giant thing, and her her pay per view headlining roles in the Shevchenko rematch and against Pennington were really really bad. They were like eighty five thousand pay per view buys. They were like really bad, but those were also some really crappy cards. And during a stretch where the co main event was falling off of every fight, every fight card, it's time that she becomes a thing, and I think she will from this because. You, it's hard, it would be hard not to. She already dismantled Rousey, which put her on the, on the radar. And then to dismantle Cyborg like this, she is the GOAT. She is that her resume is unreal. And there's people that are basically kind of countering and saying, look, women's MMA and UFC's only been around for five years. Can we stop just passing around the title of GOAT? Like it's a championship belt. Like, can we, can we breathe a little bit? I don't think you need to breathe a little bit when Nunez has now defeated Every single name except for Holly Holm, which, by the way, might be the fight to make in the future because she that's the only name she hasn't beaten. Of former champions, she's finished Cyborg and Rousey in round one. She's submitted Tate for the title. She has two wins over Shevchenko. She even has that win over Durandami, who once held the belt. She's the GOAT-wise. I think it's time to put the marketing machine behind her. And for anybody like Ravel to say... Well, they already have, and she failed. No, they haven't remotely promoted her. In fact, Dana White has done more to spite her publicly after Nunez pulled out of that first Shevchenko rematch because of the hard weight cut. He's and said she would never headline a card again and blah, blah, blah. And Dana's done more to put her in the Woodley category of, like, for for no reason, I'm just going to bury this person, than they have embracing her relationship with Nina Ansarov and really kind of pushing them forward as maybe ambassadors and, like, there's a lot more they can do. I hope for Mandy's sake, by the way, that they go all in on her and realize that she's a destroyer. They caught the casual fans' eyes because of how many people came here to see John Jones. But everybody that came there to see John Jones left talking about Amanda Nunez, brother. So take that, Darren Ravel. <laughs> well, so that's the thing. Like, Darren Ravel took a very small truth, which was Amanda Nunez was not a star going into that fight. But that fight made her into a star. Yes. Like, come on. It's the easiest thing to say. Oh, she's ruining their marketing ability. She, she's not – She, they don't have any more stars left. Come yeah. on. So man. his and, point was that, that she ruined women's MMA with that win. Right. Because she Be beat now the two biggest stars they ever had in Cyborg and Rousey. Right. And, I mean, you can make the argument the three biggest because Misha Tate was a pretty big name too before she beat her. Um, yeah, I just I, – I can't get behind that – him just making that stupid argument. Like, How about that point in his story where he said, uh, look at young Jacek. She had sponsorships. Nunez has none, and Nunez has a hell of a lot more talent than young Jacek ever did. I was like, what? Young Jacek's arguably like the third greatest women's fighter in history. Like, what are you talking about? So, yeah, I I don't know. I really hope, I, I, I hope in my deepest heart that Dana finally puts something behind her. Yes. Like, they, they need to, man. Like, she she could be like you were saying before she could be such a great ambassador for the LGBTQ community to get more people into this sport 
and I think they started to a little bit before this fight because I don't know if you noticed or not, but Nina was doing a lot of the interviews with Amanda, um, and they were kind of making that big, not like a big deal, but they were pushing both of them basically, like because now Nina's starting to get her popularity up after she beat Claudia in uh, at 231, and she might be challenging for a title, so they might have. Pretty soon they might have three belts in that house. That's a great together. story, by the way. That if they do, if she challenges for a title, that's a great story. It's already a great story. They just don't tell it. <laughs> so, like you said, I really hope that 2019 brings more popular, Mike, more celebrity push for Amanda. Because yes. for as much as she's not a great talker in the media, she does. She's not going to be flashy. She's not going to be like talking smack to the opponent to like say all these crazy things like McGregor or Nate Diaz, she is such a damn good fighter that it shouldn't matter. And naturally, but, she's a baby face. She's come through a lot in her personal life coming out of Brazil to get to this point. And I think the when she beat Rousey, I think she was trying to be a little McGregor-ish. And that, remember that post, that failed post-fight interview that made her look like uh, – and she was upset at the attention Rousey – rightfully so, she was upset at the attention Rousey was getting coming into that match and the fact that Rousey was getting – unprecedented star treatment to not have to do any interviews and to, you know, I mean, it was bad. And I think now people are realizing she's a baby face. She's, she's a nice person. And Ravel can say UFC has tried and failed with her. They haven't tried. You know who they tried and failed with? Steepy Miocic, cause it just didn't work. And they tried hard. They would send him to ESPN regularly to do those car washes and be on Sports Center. It just didn't work. Steepy doesn't have that personality. It is what it is. I don't think they've ever tried with Amanda Nunez. And I think there's angles they can go, like you mentioned. Hopefully they will. Um, but look, how are you gonna debate this? Unless you're around a Rousey truther. Amanda Nunez is, is right now the best female fighter we've ever seen on accomplishments, on accomplishments alone. Yes. Hundred percent. I like we were talking about it before. I don't know what you even give her next because she has done so much damage to that one thirty five division at this point. Holly Holm, maybe. I think you have to do Holly Holm. I think you have to, and I think it sells really well because Holm is still a bench. She'll still help you. She'll still help you get a couple hundred thousand pay per view buys. I think yeah. that would you do that to round out her resume. So that you can literally say she beat every possible champion who was alive. You know what I mean? Like she beat everyone. And maybe you do, maybe you do that. Maybe you do that as a bantamweight title defense. Actually, you could do it in either way. It really doesn't matter. And then you, you kind of slow build to the cyborg rematch. But I think the other fight, of course, is a third Shevchenko fight because I'm on the side of the fence. I thought Valentina won the rematch. Valentina still wants that fight. Uh, Nunez at the post fight press conference said she already had two chances. I'm not giving, you know, I'm not going to talk about her. Like, why are we ha- talking about her? Long term though, when you consider that Nunez is what, 30? Right in the middle of her prime here. You know, long term, I think Shevchenko is the big fight. But if if you're – here's the reality. Nunez has cleaned out that division, and there's nobody at featherweight. Yet, you have three fun fights to make. You got Shevchenko, Holm, and Cyborg if Nunez is going to be your big star. So all hope is not lost, right? Right. And I think – Oh, wait. Gonna... Aspen Ladd's fighting Holm. I forgot about that. That crossroads fight. Right. That's right. What they should not have done that. That, that got booked. What the that that got booked the Friday before I left. <laughs> this, you know what they got to do? Call up Aspen Lad and say you're gonna have a phantom injury coming up. You because why would you say? Because they're doing that to try to make Aspen Lad a star. But quick. if Holm loses that fight, you got. Uh... But if Holm wins that fight, you expose one of your prized possessions, the 23 year old. You know, like weird. It's they do weird matchmaking sometimes. I think. But if you get, let's say that they decide to go to the Shevchenko fight again, that does give you an opportunity to give Cyborg a kind of get right fight against 
Megan Anderson who won on the prelims and they were supposed to fight before anyway. So you can have that fight go on while you're doing another Nunez fight at Bantamweight. Very fair point. And, uh, shout out to Kat Zingano who really, I think with her name was like one big win to get away from getting a title shot at either 35 or 45. And then she got kicked in the eyeball and, uh, should we wear, uh, socks now to make sure that nobody gets poked with a, with a, a, a nail, a toenail? You know, that's like the second time that Anderson has done that in her career too, where she just kicked somebody and her, her toe just went straight into an eye. That's so weird and gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, MMA. Um, let's, uh, so Amanda Nunez won this event, but there, this was a pretty good card in the end. We saw some breakthrough performances. I, 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 I don't want to call Michael Chiesa looking great at welterweight against a dead Carlos Condon a great performance because of the fact that not only did Condon only almost get two submissions on him, this is how many in, in a row? Five losses in a row. This is uh eight in his last ten. What a rough turn of events for Carlos Condon. But Michael Chiesa looked like a million bucks at 170, dude. And he said it himself afterwards. I've been in the wrong weight class. When I don't have to cut, I can wrestle. I'm really strong. I'm all these things. He's got a homeless beard too, by the way. Um, are you a believer that Kiesa is a 170 contender now? Or like, should we just tell Carlos Condit to go home? Tell Carlos Condit to go home. I think Kiesa can, Kiesa is a top 15 guy. That's fine. He's a top 15 Walter Waite because Walter Waite needs more blood to come through, but he's not there yet. I mean, he's not a top, he, he is not part of our current Colby, Kamaru, Tyron, Ben Askren. He's not part of that crew yet. He needs he needs a lot more time before he gets up to there. That's fair. Positive step forward, though. Hopefully, he can win this uh, Conor McGregor lawsuit. We can put that behind us, right? <laughs> he's got, but he's got to go that Kamaru route where he's going through guys to get to that title shot. There's no way he's getting into that conversation of top five yet. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. We did get um, <clears throat> Connor's thoughts on the glass going in the eye. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. Yeah, so there is that. Um, uh, Beefy Latifi goes down to Corey Anderson in a decision. It didn't really move me, but boy, was I moved by Alexander Volkanovsky leaping off the page at featherweight. It's Chad Mendez who I thought still had it. I thought he looked damn good in, in really a fight of the year contender loss here. Retires afterwards. Did not see that coming. We had him on the show last week. He was great. He was talking about wanting Max Holloway, talking about wanting big things. But holy crap, the real story here is your boy, Volkanovsky, the native of Australia. He's a contender at 145 now. This was a hell of a performance. Yeah, man, that was, I mean, when we talked about it before, you were all over the Mendez train. I was trying to warn you, man, Volkanovsky is not somebody to be trifled with because he has that power. And apparently, I didn't even notice this, but apparently people were getting the two fighters confused during the fight because they looked the same. <laughs> Except for Mendez's like, T-Rex arms, they were twins, really. <laughs> anyway, Volkanovsky's power was just so apparent because he was landing clean jabs and clean hooks on Mendez's face. And Mendez was a bloody mess after that. Even when he got, when you got so excited because Mendez got Volkanovsky's back and you thought he was going to lock up that submission from where I, from the pay-per-view cameras, you could see Mendez could barely hold him. When he got into that back mount on, or back clinch on the, on the ground, Mendez, his face was ringing because he was like, Oh crap. Like Volkanovsky's just slippery and he's able to power himself off of him. So, 
you might have thought you you were telling me you thought he was going to lock up that that uh that rear naked or that guillotine. He never had it. He never had control over Volkanovski on the ground. So Volk, I'm going to call him Vulcan because it's easier. <laughs> Vulcan flips over and he ends up finishing the fight that way because he just he was overpowering on Mendez, which is incredible because of how strong Mendez is on the ground. Dude, um, Volkanovski impressed me most. By the fact that, that, like, look, look, this is a giant win for him when you consider Mendez is, I mean, he was like the greatest featherweight bridesmaid of this era. I mean, nobody pushed Aldo like he did in that rematch before Connor one-punched him. And to to see Volkanovski walk through everything Mendez had, meaning Chad, look, look, I thought Chad still had it in this fight. Chad dropped Volkanovski twice. Like, he was taking him down. There was that real key takedown that set up that near rear naked against the fence where Chad's vision was was certainly getting compromised by the cut on his right eye. But yet Volkanovsky was just – he was like – it was like he had, uh you know, a V8 in there and, and, and Chad's running on four cylinders. It was just like he just wanted it more, younger, stronger, bigger, and man, that was impressive. And then he goes out and calls out Max Holloway and you're going, here's the deal here. This is a dead division now that Max Holloway has completely cleaned out. Dead enough to the point where your boy me was trying to get Chad Mendez propped up to that, to that spot. I don't know if he's ready next, but he's a lot more ready than anyone else is at 145 if Dana is going to allow Max to hang around. I would, I would lean toward wanting to see that fight because there's no one else. I want to see him against Brian Ortega. I think that's the fight to make first. Ooh. Why not? That's the, no, I don't mean oof in a bad way. I mean oof like that's the deep end of the pool. We're going to find out who you are. That I mean because Aldo's fighting Moicano in a couple months, and that's a great top five featherweight fight. I mean I don't want to see him against Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> I'd rather see him against one of these young and up. Like get these older dudes out of the way. Let Volkanovski, Ortega, and Holloway have the run of the show because they are clearly – the deep end of the pool, and we're going to find out how good Volkanovski is against somebody like Brian Ortega. Wow. But that's how you make the announcement. That's how you make the leap. Uh, we saw that a, a couple times because this Bantamweight from Russia, again, your boy, I was not woke to the level of I need to watch out for this brother, Peter Yan. Is that how we're pronouncing it? Yan. Peter Yan. Uh, he took out bootleg Vitor Belfort, uh, a man that we're <laughs> going to call Douglas Silva de Andrade, who had uh, he had the 2013 belt for Mohawk, but he also had a mullet simultaneously, and he had the most ripped body. I'm not here to tell you that Douglas Silva de Andrade is on drugs, but he had the most ripped body I've ever seen. There was only one other time at a weigh-in did I see a body, and I was like, "Oh God, Lord!" And it was Brock at UFC 200 when he took his shirt off and came out. You were like, "You saw the line one, brother," and um. This man was ripped, and your boy Peter Yan is—he's like—is he—is he like Habib Light? Is that fair? Kinda. kinda. I mean, same kind of. But he same, bangs. Same kind of training, yeah. I mean, dude, a one thirty-five er that hits like that is insane, and he just took it to De Silva de Andrade. By the way, so we're talking about how ripped that dude was. That that weigh-in. When we could see his cheek muscles and cheekbone, oh my god! Like we were both just laughing. Like, what is this person? Is this a character? Like, this can't be a real person with cheeks that you are just sucked in that much. There's no way that's like a real body. 
But anyway, so Peter Yan, he absolutely took it to De Silva de Andrade. Like, if he's able to put together a little bit more wrestling game and he can, if he can learn a little bit more on the microphone after the fight, he is going to be a problem and he's going to sell because that guy, he said he wants to fight Lineker. He wants to fight Dude, Hands of Stone. Oh my God. Lineker Jan is just one of those instantaneous, like, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Like it means, okay, it's, it's, a, it would be a bantamweight fight between top contend, you know, not top contenders, but you know what I'm saying, but it's one of those that I just want to see it. I want to see if Jan's for real. I want to see Lineker every day of the week because he bangs. Oh my God. That would be awesome. Lineker wanted to fight Zabit. Like, come on. Wow. Hey, Peter Yan, welcome to our dreams. Welcome to the Bantamweight division. Uh, 2-0 in the UFC, looking very impressive. And um, everyone's favorite BJ Penn at 40 years old, lost about, lost again. But at least he didn't get knocked out. Is that where we're going to end it? Are we going to end it on at least he didn't get knocked out? I mean, Ryan Hall submits him in round one with a hell of a heel hook. Uh, at 40, this is uh, how many in a row? for B- Why is BJ still fighting? I mean, even Dane afterwards was like, Man, I don't want him to fight. That's why Dana admitted he gave him this match against Ryan Hall, who was coming off a two-year layoff himself, because he wanted to put him in there with submission guy so he didn't get hurt. He loses his sixth in a row. There was a draw to John Fitch before that. He's one eight and one since losing his title to Frankie Edgar in Abu Dhabi in two thousand nine, dude. That's nine years. I mean, there's only so much more you can crap on BJ Penn here, the legend. We love him, but. Should not have been in here. Should not have been on the preliminary card opener of FS1. This hairy-chested Ryan Hall comes off a two-year layoff and just taps him. It's just, I don't want to be here anymore. If, if, hey, BJ, here's the deal, bro. If you want to come back and do one more with Bellator in a main event and do a sloppy Super Bowl against some old guy, I'm there for you. I'm front row. I don't like when Rashad Evans at 37 and BJ at 40 still fights, you know, contenders, quote-unquote, in UFC. Don't do that. Don't. So this is one of the things that I was going to talk about looking forward to 2019. I hope in my heart of hearts that 2018 taught Dana a lesson. Get the damn veterans and the damn pioneers of your sport out of the octagon. Pay them some other way. Give them some sort of position in UFC. But get the Carlos Condens, get the Rashad Evans, get the BJ Pens, get um, Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Liddell out of the ring. Like, we don't need to see them anymore. You have so many young guys that need a push, that need to get in there and show people what they can do, that the veterans just don't need it anymore, man. And you don't need to pay them to get their asses kicked. Because for what it was, BJ got his ass kicked. Like, Hall was laying on the ground and still kicking him before he got that submission heel hook. Like, I just, I don't need to see these guys anymore. Get them, get them out of here. It's you're enabling them in this case. I think when you take a legend and you put him in there against, uh, there's two, there's two fights legends should be a part of, right? Uh, celebrity old guy fights with other legends. You know what I'm saying? Like a Machida against Vitor Belfort. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Or you use them to get somebody young over. We don't necessarily love Israel Adesanya, Anderson Silva, but we get it, man. We get it, okay? I do not need to see Anderson Silva, Derek Brunson. I do not need to see uh, Rashad Evans against, I don't know, name his last four fights. I don't need to see any of that. If you're not in the business of fighting for a title or you're not in the business of giving the rub to somebody else in a pro wrestling sense, then get them out of there. Let them go to Bellator. Let them get a couple more. Let them pay off that vacation house, right? Please, please, stop it. Stop it. Thank you. End of conversation. Um, 
That's UFC 232. Oh, I did want to give a shout-out to middleweight Uriah Hall. We know yeah. he's always feast or famine. He's either going to get knocked out or knock you out. He was losing this fight kind of badly to, to Bevin Lewis, and he right-hand counter shot in round three. KO, one punch, eyes rolling to the back of his head. But Uriah Hall threatened to win the night with that speech afterwards, man. Not just the hug he put on Lewis in the, the uplifting speech, but the one about his sister battling depression. Like, there was like tears in the arena. That was, that was a moment. I, I was, I was taken aback by it just because you don't get to hear guys like that a lot. And for him to kind of basically break down because he was so emotional and so happy to be able to give that moment to his sister, that was, I mean, you can't script that in Hollywood. That was, that was so good. That was just, it was such a good moment. It was just a feel good moment. I love the, uh, the push of bringing, you know, mental health to the forefront, uh, you know, from Moro Ronaldo through Tyson Fury in this past year. And, and, uh, I'm glad to see all of that. And by the way, I got some weird hate on my timeline and I, and I get why. Um, you, you, you heard that awful ta- quote from Dana White at the post press conference where, uh, a, a Swedish reporter asked him, what will you do if John Jones fails the California state drug test post fight? And Dana's okay. like, I'll, I'll, I'll kill myself. And everybody had a laugh and everybody tweeted it out. And then people were like, man, you shouldn't take somebody who's ignorant and allow these promotion of negative, uh, mental health stigma. So I was like, all right, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, okay. He was clearly making a joke because of how ridiculous his week had been though. True. True. But, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful out there. Um, I so, I yeah. UFC 232 behind us. A couple bits of news to get out of here is, uh, that Nganu Kane Velasquez fight. Holy crap, am I fired up. February 17th, Phoenix. Is that the first regular ES, so the first ESPN plus card is the Brooklyn one coming up. Is this the first regular ESPN card? I believe so. Let me double check that really That's quick. That's a but... hell of a fight. Kane coming off of uh, an insane layoff. We haven't seen him since July 2016, UFC 200, when he destroyed Travis Brown in one round. Looked like a million bucks. Supposedly, he's been healthy and ready for a year. There was some contract issues. I mean, he's coming back against Nganu. So, two, so one, it's a difficult fight for ring rust when you consider Nganu's power. But two, man, if Kane exposes him and wins, and, and there is a chance here for Kane to take down Nganu and just expose him. Like, this could be bad for Nganu. As much as it could be bad for Kane, this is great matchmaking, man, because Kane is right back in a title picture with a win here, like right back. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't even has he even been dropped in the rankings because like he has been a, I think he's still been a top five dude in heavyweight rankings for the last two years, even though he hasn't fought. Yeah, he's actually off of the rankings list now. But yeah, I mean. Kane wins this fight, he pulls the Mendez move where he just jumps right back into the front of the line because he's always been that guy. He is, like we were talking about before, the greatest heavyweight we've seen in the modern era. Like, there's no question about it. I just don't, my, like you were saying before, I just want to see what this looks like because these two guys are just heavy hands ready to go in and brawl. But if Kane gets that leg and takes Francis to the ground, I'm kind of worried about Francis because oh, yeah. Steve showed you he has no idea what he's no doing idea. there yet. Um, if Kane went, look, I, I, I mean this. If Kane dominates here and then we're suddenly like, Kane needs a title shot, I, I wonder if DC just gives up the belt. And, you know, they've been such close friends. I wonder if he does the fake retirement thing and then knows I have one more fight and it's John Jones and maybe he doesn't fight John Jones at heavyweight. Maybe he goes, my, my, bu- my buddy, my brother Kane is back. I'm going to go take some time off, slowly cut back down to 205. 
and then we'll do that Super Bowl trilogy fight with Jones, and then Kane can win back his title. Like you say, at this point, that sounds like too much being too good of a friend, right? It sounds a little too lame right now, but it's not impossible. It's not insane. And then guess what you do? You do Kane Stipe for the championship, and that fight is must, must, must see. Yeah, and the other thing is DC has always said Kane is better than me. Like flat out, he says Kane is better than me at fighting. Like that would be the reason he doesn't take that fight or doesn't want to make that happen because no, they're too deep. They're, this is not going to be a, a Rashad Evans John Jones thing. They're too deep in friendship. They're like brothers, brothers. Yeah, so. there's love. There's legit love. Thank you for joining us, man. Yeah, I love you. The legit, legit love. Cause you, the only I mean, other, the only other news I think that we can hit on here is that Ho- Jose Aldo Moicano fight that's at Fortezella. That's gonna, that is a fight night, uh, ESPN plus card. So the Kane and Ganu fight is on regular ESPN. He asked for it to be the co-main event. Jose Aldo did. He did not want to be the main event at Fortezella. He, that's why? what Dana said at, Dana said that at the press conference on, on Saturday night that Aldo wanted a three-round fight. He did not want a five-round fight against Moicano. I thought that was kind of interesting. That was very interesting. Hmm. So they're letting a Sun uh Marlon Moraes be the main event for that fight, fight night. All right, all right. Um, that fight's interesting. I don't think it's main event worthy. It's an interesting fight. Um, were you the one telling me that the, they, we have a co-main event for the first ESPN Plus card, the Brooklyn card, which has a great main event in Cejudo Dillashaw for that flyweight title um, no, the co-main event will not be Paige Van Zant, which I was my knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> would you would you tell the folks what it is? Yeah, they announced the fight order for that January nineteenth event that Brian's going to miss while he's on vacation. Yes, <laughs> it is going to be Greg Hardy making his MMA or his UFC debut against Alan Crowder in a co-main event. The co-main event That's, on ESPN Plus. I have issues with that. I thought it was going to be a prelim fight, to be honest with you. It deserves to be a prelim fight. This is like when you – okay, the first time around CM Punk, yes, you make it a pay-per-view card fight. Second time around CM Punk, it was a disgrace that that was on the pay-per-view main card. This almost feels like it's a disgrace for a couple different reasons. It's still too early. It's okay to promote Greg Hardy. And by the way, watching him knock out these guys who have like two fights of experience is not bad theater it's it's decent tv okay i'm cheering for greg hardy to put the negative in the past behind him but when you consider the headlines negatively of having rachel ostovich on this card coming off of her own domestic uh issues not not of her own doing by the way it's i think it's just it's a bad look for espn to go all right you're gonna have greg hardy on this card we'll put him in the co-main we really got to push the idea that this ex-nfl guy is fighting no no no, the guy's like two and zero. Oh. Like, put it like, that's weird. It's yeah, something it's, weird. It's not there. great. This dude he's fighting is nine and three. He's got a fifty percent knockout rates. I mean, has he beaten anyone you've heard of? No. <laughs> he's an he's just another body. Like they, if if I mean if Greg Hardy goes out there and knocks him out in under a minute, like he's been doing with everybody else that they put him in there with, then sure, it's fine to put him there. But there's, I mean. The headlines and all the pre-fight stuff is—it's going to be kind of weird, I think. Yeah, there's something weird. It's just weird about. It. I know Dana's coming out, and, you know, and said, "Well, Rachel Ostovich said it's fine. If it's fine with her, it's fine with us." No, Rachel Ostovich has no leverage. Of course, she said it's fine. You're like, stop, okay? You're like, just. Uh, uh, I'm done with that. Um, we're recording this on December 31st, so we will not be able to break down anything from the PFL year-ending show they're having at New York's Madison Square Garden. 
with the one million dollar prize at stake, Kayla Harrison's, you know, uh, return fight, all of that good stuff. There is some good stuff going at PFL. I don't tend to follow it as closely as others. Uh, you care at all? No. All right. A lot of guys named Magomed on that, on that fight card. I'll tell you that much. All right. Hey, uh, one more bit of news. No, interesting. Roy Jones Jr., who as a boxing promoter puts on very lower level cards, signed a deal with UFC Fight Pass, which is kind of interesting to do like 20 cards a year on there. What, what I thought was interesting was at the post-fight press conference, Dana White was sort of asked about his grudge with Oscar De La Hoya and asked whether he's going to ever make Zufa boxing a thing. And Dana basically said, like, wait till next year. We're going to blow you away at the things we're going to do. And it turned into like this almost like an Oscar and DeZone debate where Mike Coppinger, the uh, reporter from The Guardian, asked him, you know, what are your thoughts on DeZone? Will they last? And Dana was sort of like, you want to compete? I'm your guy. And you're not going to believe what we're going to do this year. So is that him saying we're going to turn UFC Fight Pass into into like the DAZN? I mean, it kind of already is a DAZN rival. Like DAZN kind of stole the UFC Fight Pass model, if you think about it, which is take all different kinds of fight organizations in any fight sport and just put it on your app. So the whole – that whole speech spiel that he gave was still kind of weird to me given how much money and how much content they're giving to ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. Because your best content is going to ESPN. So what? Are, why are you still calling this quote-unquote UFC Fight Pass if all of your best stuff is not going to be on there? Yeah. You're going to turn it – like you said, it seems like it's going to be a zone e type thing. But aren't they giving but, half their library to ESPN Plus anyway? So it's weird, right? That's what I'm saying. So I don't even know why you're still calling it UFC Fight Pass at this point if you're making it just a, hey, this is where you can get any other kind of fight. That you want to watch a lot of le- a lot of left ways coming your way, Brian. I just, <laughs> I just wonder if that means he's going to promote boxing or not. Is that what he was teasing or no? No, right? I hope not. But like it was we... almost like he was saying, "Okay, uh, okay, Oscar, you think you're going to get into my game? I'm going to get into your game and drive you out of business." But it's not that easy. Dana's already tried. He's already had meetings with Mikey Garcia and all these other guys. It's it's not happening. Well, to be fair. Oscar's not exactly in business right now. He's losing a lot of his stable to DAZN and to to uh, to a top rank, right? No, no, no. Oscar's doing. Oscar's Oscar's getting DAZN money. He's good. He's good. He's only he's only getting Canelo money. I thought. No, he signed a he signed his own five year deal with uh with DAZN for for Golden uh, Boy. I thought it was I thought it was only Canelo signed that exclusive deal. I didn't think anybody else from Golden Boy signed. No, he stayed up uh, until four in the morning with John Skipper and signed that uh that deal as well. <laughs> I wonder what those parties look like. All right, let's get out of here with uh, year-end awards time. We are putting them out uh, this week on CBSSports.com, looking at the best that was in 2018. Uh, we didn't have a category for this, but let's talk about it. What was the card of the year in MMA? Probably UFC 2018. Don't say Risen 14 on New Year's <laughs> Eve. What was the damn card of the year for you? What 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 was it? Man, if I had to get like put together a Quick top three. I want to say that UFC on Fox card with Poirier and Alvarez would probably be on there. Oh yeah, what was that co-main? That was that was Stevens Aldo, I think. Yes. And then the uh, Joanna Tisha was the third fight. Um, I would say 229 is probably going to be on there. No. Yeah, 229. Just from, from Pettis, Pettis Ferguson, Khabib, Connor, yes. and uh, Vulcan Lewis. Yeah. Um, 
I think 232 has got a good argument, no? 232, like, not Prisoner of the Moment, like, that was a good that, fight that, card. That was one of the top three fight cards of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, it, imagine what 223 could have been in Brooklyn because Rose Joanna 2 was so amazing. Imagine if we had Habib Tony like we should have. Oh, my God, that would have been the it, card of the year. 226 maybe i just don't think it was that great all around no because the ortega holloway fight fell off yeah. dc miocic was great but then Nganu and lewis laid an egg so yeah there were big moments what do you have what's your moment of the year do you have a single moment what's your moment of the year for or good or bad because i'm i'm is it is it connor throwing the damn thing through the window or is it habib jumping the fence and drop kicking dylan danis or maybe the moment of the year is nunez or dc getting those those champ champ victories. It's 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 a worthy debate. Can I just say though, like with all the cold medicine in my system right now, I completely forgot that the McGregor bus thing was this year. I thought oh, it was yeah. in 2017. Oh yeah, brother. <laughs> like, I completely forgot I was in Brooklyn in April this year <laughs> because I'm just so tired right now. But yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be the bus, right? Like we had never seen anything like that before. It caused so much chaos that. I, that's your moment. That That is – when you think of MMA in 2018, you either think of that or you think of Khabib jumping the fence. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, in a weird way, Conor McGregor was the – dom- I mean, certainly dominated the headlines in 2018. It, it might have to be either of those two for the reach. I think feel-good moment – I'm going to – you know, Nunez's knockout of Cyborg in the moment, of course, is insane. Makes her the greatest of all time, the first champ champ on the female side. But DC knocking out Stipe – and although Brock Lesnar quickly ruined that moment, pre-Brock Lesnar entering that cage, just DC walking around, it was like when GSP submitted Bisping in MSG and sort of just like this moment, it felt really, really good. DC is such a, such a baby face on this, you know, when it comes to promotion to, to, to again go to the well in WWE, but, um, that, that really was, I think, the feel good moment of the year. Yeah. As far as like an upset, I think you, I mean, you gotta go, Cyber, uh, uh, Nunez, right? Yeah, that's that's very fair. Because I, I, I can't I can't think of another one off the top of my head that was that surprising in the moment, where it was just out of nowhere, out of left field, knockout. Good night. <laughs> I have the intent attendance figures from UFC cards in 2018. Can you guess at 22,603 what was the most Highly attended, or I don't know how to say it. What's UFC card at the highest attendance for a single night? I would say the one in Australia. Good guess, but you're not even in the top ten, bro. It was September 15th in Moscow. Hunt Olenek. Yes. 229 was number. They put it in their giant, like, uh, soccer arena, didn't they? Yes, yes, they did. Uh, the Olympic Ski Arena. 229 (laughs) was second. 231 in Toronto was third. All right. Let's get into the real categories that we care about. And we start with Fighter of the Year, dude. And this was in, uh, I think you have three legitimate contenders for number one in Fight of the Year. Like, legitimate. Like, you talk about Nunez, you talk about DC, you talk about Habib. It's really tight. That's really, really close. Any other year, any of those three are like slam dunk with a bullet. Yeah. And that was our thing going in. We were talking about those three before Nunez's fight. And then Nunez gives us honestly like one of the biggest performances we've ever seen. And we had the – we. 
like I was messaging you immediately like, dude, we got to really like have a discussion here because DC versus Nunez at this point is really tough to call. Like a lot of people had already made their calls and said, hey, yeah, DC, fighter of the year. Pretty like fighter with fighter of the year with a bullet because three wins, double champion, all of that stuff. But he didn't have a win on his resume this year as big as that cyborg win. And that's what I to me, that's what pushed Nunez over the edge to so give it to to give it to her over DC. Our CBS Sports Choice, we we shout out to our buddy Jack Crosby, our colleague who also does voting with us on this, uh is Amanda Nunez and it's well deserved. Personally, I did slightly prefer DC. Three victories, all stoppages, defended both the heavyweight title and the light heavyweight title, and you consider the monumental task of as the underdog moving up to heavyweight at 39 and knocking out the biggest knockout artist in that division, if not history at that level. It's such a feel-good moment, such a great year. It's really close with Nunez. I certainly have no problem with her doing it. She just became the women's goat. She just knocked out in 51 seconds the greatest, most dominant fighter in the history of the sport on the female side, and she... Uh, destroyed Raquel Pennington over five rounds a few months earlier. Hell of a year. Hell. So to go on, to go to the counterpoint to your argument that we were talking about before, you could say in a hypothetical that DC and Nunez did the exact same thing in their biggest wins, right? They both pulled off shocking knockout upsets over two people that were I think was DC the favorite going into that fight, no, or was, was it the underdog? And you're right; they both moved up in weight in a champ champ situation. But I just think, to me, Nunez's win was such a bigger step monumentally because, like we were talking about before, <laughs> Cyborg hadn't lost since 2005. Like she had never had, she had never shown a weakness. Stipe, for all of his greatness, he had only won three fights in a row to get or. He had won more fights in a row, but he had only defended the belt three times. Only. Before. Nobody had ever done that before. I know, but it's still like heavyweight is just so weird like that. I think and you just still believe he tapped against Overeem and you won't let him, you won't, you won't let him forget that. Alistair felt it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, like I said, DC's other two wins to me just weren't that impressive. Like you can get, like if, if he doesn't fight Lewis, do we even have this discussion? Because they both fair. fought twice, and it's just like they both had similar performances. It's and to fair. me, uh, Nunez's win over Cyborg is just bigger than the Stipe win. And then you're like, is 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 DC's combined stoppages of Vulcan Ozdemir, who hasn't aged well, and Derek Lewis better than Raquel Pennington? Yeah, it's, it all kind of evens out. No problem with it. Hey, shout out to our number three, Habib Dramagomedov, who, by the way, like won the title against an opponent on one hour notice, Ally Aquinta, which a tougher than expected fight after, I don't know, the mental struggle of having a, a dolly thrown at a bus and you get attacked and all that craziness, and then comes back in the biggest fight in UFC history and destroys Conor McGregor. Um, That's a hell of a year. Being scheduled to fight four different people in a week doesn't do it for you. I mean, uh, I mean that's a great that was, year, dude. It was insane. Like his whole week of 223 going through Tony Ferguson, Max Holloway, maybe Anthony Pettis at one point, and then getting Ally Aguinta and actually, you know, still putting on a decent performance and then getting to the big payday of destroying Conor McGregor in that fight. It was, like you said, any other year, he is easily the guy. But I think there's a lot of uh, the problem with the rest of this 
countdown is there's a lot of people that only had one win, and you're sort of judging that win. Henry Cejudo next on our list. And I mean, the one win was a monstrous one over Demetrius Johnson. I'm not sure he actually won it, though. I mean, it's, it's a tough debate. Max Holloway really turned around a, a, an insanely negative year with an incredible performance against Brian Ortega. You also had John Jones with one big win. You also had Tyron Woodley with one big win. I think Valentina Shevchenko with the two wins in winning the uh, flyweight title is also on this level. Hey, let's go fight of the year. Wise, what's our CBS Sports pick on Fight of the Year? It was, a, it was a fun year. A lot of fights to go through here. I mean, the amount of great fights that we saw in 2018 was just incredible. We we didn't have the discussion, but you could have made an argument for Volkanovski against Mendez making this list. Yes, even though yes. he's probably we're going to end up probably putting them as honorable mention. But our number one fight this year was Justin Gaethje versus Dustin Poirier. Oh yes, war, dude, just absolute war. And that's what Gaethje does. And this was April 14th. It was the UFC on Fox from Glendale, Arizona. And uh, wow. Wow. I mean, what a year for Poirier. He didn't get that payoff, of course, with the Nate Diaz fight at 230. But Poirier really stepped up and showed you so much with the Eddie Alvarez win, which was, by the way, also a fight of the year contender at the rematch. Eddie Alvarez, Dustin Poirier. What a year for Poirier. What a fight against Gaethje. they went, they, their brains went through hell. Yeah. I mean, they've probably both got a combined four fights left. So I hope it was worth it. Fourth round finish. Uh, personally, I voted for, and maybe it was the bias of being cage side for this at 229. That Tony Ferguson, Anthony Pettis two round war was insane. It was, I think it was because every second of that fight was fought at a fight of the year type level because Ferguson pushed the pace like he's known to do. And Pettis, I thought Pettis dug in and emptied the jar. Like, he's like, I'm going to do my last stand right here, knowing, by the way, that had he beaten Ferguson, he's probably getting a title shot and or Conor McGregor next in some form. Like, he's getting something massive. Former champion was willing to go out on a shield. Ferguson made him. Ferguson got dropped and rocked. It was bloody. It was brutal. That arena was on fire. You want to talk about feels. The sticks stick the needle in. That was there was some feeling going on right there. What a fight! Did you feel what I was feeling? Cage side. The only thing that would have pushed it over the top for me is if we see what that fight looks like in the third round. If the doctor doesn't stop it because of the giant cut on Pettis's head. So uh, no, it looks like the, it would look like the fifth round of Nunez Pennington or the third <laughs> round of Rockhold Weidman. Oh. It would not have been good. Why? Pettis was fine. No, he was he was on the way out, bro. I don't know. I mean, to me, the signature moment of that fight is Pettis on top of him with blood dripping down his oh, face, just going yes. ah, like he's drinking it. I, yeah, it was great. What That's, are some other uh, ones you want to you want to recognize? I mean, how can you go any farther at number three than Korean Zombie against Yair Rodriguez? That really that, was five spectacular rounds. You could make an argument that was the best fight of this year, like from a tactical standpoint, from a this is these guys are do, clearly doing damage to each other, but nobody's falling. Kind of fight. It, it was, was just insane, and it of course finishes with the insane no look behind the head elbow to the jaw <laughs> that leaves somebody dead on the mat. Uh, shout out to Max Holloway and Brian Ortega in a fight that even though in the end it was one sided, Ortega wouldn't stop coming, and he kept look. He left me for a full round thinking he was going to knock Holloway out. Like I, he would eat three and then land one big one. Uh, we can't forget Robert Whitaker, Yoel Romero, too. I still think Romero got job, but that fight was great. What stood out to you about that one? 
any other year, that's top three, right? Like they might win it. I mean, it was it was just it, it wasn't as much of balls out violence, but it it had like this flow that was great. I feel like that one suffers a little bit just because we still don't think of Whitaker as like a champ, like this dominant champion yet, and because Romero has had his own issues, like that fight kind of just got pushed to the back back burner because there was just so much other good stuff that happened this year. But again, that fight, the tension in that arena was crazy. Like it was to me, that was similar to what happened with the the Wilder Fury fight where these dudes are throwing bombs and it's just a matter of, okay, is somebody going to fall? Is, 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 the, is somebody finally going to get knocked out here? Because in, I think it was the third round, Romero went after him and he went hard with his heavy leg kicks and punches. And Whitaker, that dude just wouldn't fall. That chin would not let up. And credit to him, man. He got a decision he probably didn't deserve, and he's going to get that next title fight. But he is a brawler, and he has some he has some of that gangster blood that doesn't let him fall. Oh, yeah. And shout-out to Romero, who got one of the bigger pops uh, in Saturday in, in L.A. And uh, the fans love him. Fans love him some, Yoel. And he was on fire backstage. I accidentally trying to get to the media tent for the post-fight press conference. I took a wrong turn, and I ended up right in the middle of that area where, like, Fox is doing their interviews, and there's fighters. Halle Berry was there. There's, like, people everywhere, and there's people looking at me like, you don't belong here. And suddenly, Yoel Romero's holding court, and everyone's like, it was great, great. Shout-out to that. Uh, I want to, yeah, 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 definitely. I want to give a shout out though to Rose Joanna too at two twenty three. This is that other type of fight of the year contender, one where it's so contentious back and forth, and anyone can win, and it goes five thrilling rounds, and the decision is up in the air, and it's fought at such a high level. Those fights deserve the recommendation just as much of the bruisers like Poirier, Gage, J. Poirier, Alvarez. I love that fight. You were there for it, man. Give give the girls some respect. Oh, one hundred percent. Like. When when everything else happened at 223, we all just kind of knew like, hey, man, if you really need a main event, you got it waiting for you in the co-main event because that fight had such great buildup. Joanna wanted to prove everybody wrong. And you, to your credit, you thought she did. You thought she might have won that fight. But, man, the action back and forth between those two was just so great. Rose was just sitting back waiting for those counter strikes. She out. I think Joanna outlanded her. But Rose completely did more damage. Like, Joanna, after the fight, she, her face was just busted up, all bruised everywhere. It was, it was the kind of fight that gets you excited about why the women's division is still vibrant. It's still something that's developing. And if they can put some resources behind it, it can be what they needed to be in the future at 115. Love it. Love it. Uh, we got to get into close the show with knockout of the year. People were saying the Ayer Rodriguez Korean zombie may be the best knockout ever. I do disagree on that, but you get why, how, to, how absurd it was. Zombie running forward, ahead on the cards, two seconds to go, and Yair bends over at the waist and has the presence to lift his arm and hit a reverse elbow that knocks Chan Sung Jung cold. In Denver, the 25th anniversary card, I mean – what it ha- it's obviously our knockout of the year because it's just so damn insane and it ended a great fight the guy who was losing on the cards wins in impossible fashion what else can you say about it that it was definitely not thrown intentionally that's a fair conspiracy theory <laughs> i mean you've got to be a, a freaking say, wizard to, to be able to throw that intentionally 
he can say whatever he wants. He did not throw that on purpose. He definitely just bent over because he was exhausted and just was like, get away from me. And then just happened to catch him in the, in the chin. Imagine you're a zombie and you lose a fight like that. I mean, that's so damn tough. Uh, Leota, Leota Machida, the, uh, the current Bellator star. Don't forget his front kick to Vitor Belfort. That reminded you, of course, of Daniel San winning the 1984, um, All Valley Karate Tournament against Johnny and Karate Kid 1 with the crane kick. It also reminded you of Leoto sending Randy Couture to retirement and also the great Anderson Silva on Vitor Belfort. Now twice Belfort has been open to the straight kick to the face, bro. How do you not see it coming, man? <laughs> like, it's, the, it's the anchorman scene where he's got the one arm already cut off and then the other guy comes by and cuts the other one. He's like, come on! Uh, that sent B- Vitor to a brief retirement. Oh, he's back. He already wants to be back. I just burped. Uh, shout out to UFC <laughs> 1. I just opened, I just burped on the telecast. Shout out. All right. Uh, Yoel Romero sent uh, Luke Rockhold to hell. Gate. Oh my god, Gage G and James Vick. That was pretty nasty. Yeah, that, Gaethje got number three on our list because, good God, James Vick. We thought James Vick was going to be the real deal going into that fight, and all of a sudden, he just sent James Vick to hell with his head going over his arm like that. Oh, oh that was Kept great. his career alive. Uh, DC Miocic, certainly the impact of it. It was a great right-handed shot. I mean, I think you certainly could put Nunez, um, Cyborg. We might have to re-examine this list and find a home for that as well. Uh, well, I don't want to let Andrade, Jessica Andrade, uh, miss this though. Her one on Carolina Kov- Kovalkevich, you don't see women's knockouts like that. Holy crap, dude. Especially at 115. Yeah, uh, yeah, you just don't. And, and Eric Anders with the damn soccer kick on Tim Williams, that could have been one of the more illegal shots ever, but he <laughs> timed it. He's talking about the timing of Yair Rodriguez lifting his elbow. Eric Anders just like, I'm going to straight up kick a guy to the face who's down on the ground. It so happened that Williams lifted his hand at the right moment. Yeah. And then you got Derek Lewis against Volkov at 229, which was brutal. And Jose Aldo, his body shot on Jeremy Stevens was just amazing. And shout out to a non-UFC one, but Aaron Pico. Aaron Pico against another jobber that we can't remember off the top of our head. (laughs) When he hit his body shot, it sent – God, like there's just something about a body shot KO that is just so satisfying because the dude's entire body just stops working. Oh yeah. Uh, and, uh, and not speaking of non UFC, shout out on the fight of the year rankings. It didn't maybe get the love it deserved, but in January, that Rory McDonald, uh, Douglas Lima five round welterweight title fight with McDonald winning, but taking a ton of punishment. It's a great fight. Yes. yes. Definitely, definitely an honorable mention. Hey, that's going to close out, uh, 2018, folks. You got your UFC 232 recap, your year in review. We even sprinkled in a little bit of Floyd in there. You're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Yeah, well, uh, that's that as well. Um, Wise, Happy New Year to you, brother. Happy New Year, buddy. Hopefully 2019 brings us just as many good fights as 2018 did. Yes, it does. Thank you to all our fine listeners uh, for supporting our show. Enjoy the holiday out there. Be safe, folks. Uh, Floyd's still unbeaten. Although this does drop Floyd in exhibitions, I, I countered to two and one because we know he beat the big show at WrestleMania 24, but never forget that sp- the, the great Zapruder film of the sparring match he had with Paul Spadafore in 2001 in which he did take the L. But, uh, you know, Floyd still got it. Still got it, bro. Jesus. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I want to close with this. The one fight you want to see most in 2019 in the world of MMA, go. Oh, man. You just caught me off guard. You yeah. suck. Bring it, dude. Bring it. <laughs> Uh, there's one answer. It's it's Tony Habib. Come on, it's 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 for real. Connor Nate three. 
You don't want to see that more than you want to see Tony Habib. Stop it. Who says I don't? Me, right here on the show, <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> uh, no, I want to see Kane Jones first. Uh, me, it's 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 probably Jones DC three. Let's be honest. That's the that's the Ali Frazier of our time for this sport. It is. Thank you. We're out. Uh, we out. Yeah, I guess we're out. Uh, we're out. That's the, the thing. The show's over. We are out for Brandon Wise, your boy BC. Enjoy. Thank you. Yeah.